0: It's three things. I think it's understanding your users, what they like, who they are, what they're interested in. I think it's understanding your advertisers and what their KPIs are. And then it's working internally, looking at the data constantly, responding, optimizing, and you know, making sure you're having an impact.
1: Hello and welcome to Good Data, Better Marketing, the ultimate guide to driving customer engagement. Today's episode features an interview with Eric Meese, Director of Product, video experience, ads, and ad operations at Crunchyroll. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital-first economy, being data-driven is no longer aspirational. It's necessary. Find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to enable personalized, consistent, real-time customer experiences by visiting segment.com.
2: In the golden age of streaming, Advertising is more important than ever, but reaching customers based on their interests and consuming habits remains a challenge. Even more so, the ways in which advertisers collect customer data is changing drastically. It's a challenge Eric Meese knows all too well. Eric is the director of product, video experience, ads, and ad operations at Crunchyroll, a 360 anime brand offering streaming, games, e-commerce, and news. In this episode, I sit down with Eric to discuss personalization in the age of GDPR, contextual targeting, and unifying data with the help of humans and machines. Walk me through, how'd you get to Crunchyroll?
0: So out of college, I'm from the Bay Area originally, wanted to get back this way, and so started looking for jobs and found a great role at Healthline.com doing ad operations. And so that's really how I started to kind of get into the advertising world and into the tech side of things. And so spent about two years at Healthline and then moved over to a startup called Revision3, where I was also doing ad operations and getting more involved in video. So that's where I really started to learn more and more about streaming and video on demand. That company actually got bought by Discovery Communications and so then spent some time there. It spun off into group nine, where I continued to really be ad focus. In that transition, I moved over from ad operations to product management. And that's where I am today. Actually coming to Crunchyroll, went full circle and also now oversee ad operations as well as ad products. And so... How I got to Crunchyroll was some of the leadership team that I worked with at Discovery Communications, moved over to Sony and Crunchyroll, formerly Funimation, and they brought me in. And so it's been a good three years now. It's been really exciting times here with the Funimation and Crunchyroll merging together, along with a few kind of international anime streaming brands and working with the whole Sony family.
2: That's awesome. So you've kind of been in ads, advertising adjacent at the very least for the vast majority of your career. So you've certainly seen a lot of the evolution, I am sure. Before we get into some of those like specifics, tell us more about Crunchyroll for people that might not be so familiar. In your own words, what do y'all do?
0: Primarily, we are an anime streaming service. Uh, we offer thousands of different titles, the big ones like Demon Slayer, Attack on Titan, My Hero Academia, but really working to bring anime to the mainstream, to the global market. So we are in every country. We stay out of some of the APAC regions, because that's really where anime premieres, is even stronger. More recently, we've expanded outside of streaming, working on games, e-commerce, more news, and really trying to be a 360 brand for anime.
2: That is so cool. And so do you have a favorite anime show that you watch?
0: That's a tough question. I, I really like Attack on Titan. I think that's my favorite. It's very exciting. And the last movie was awesome. So looking forward to the next new season.
2: I love it. It's something that I, I need to get into. I, I have so many friends and family that are anime fans and it's never been something that I've delved into, but it's such a, it's so massive across the globe that maybe I'm going to take you up on your favorite and check it out. So you are a pr- in the product management group leading a whole host of different things, but tell me a little bit more about your role specifically as it relates to driving customer engagement.
0: Yeah, so I'd say there's two sides to that. You know, I think in the ad world, especially when you're a B2C company, it's helping your advertisers, which are your customers, and then it's also helping your users creating a good experience while they're viewing your content. And so for advertisers really looking to help promote their brands, bring their advertisements, their products to the right audience and helping them drive scale, drive actual engagement on their ads and driving conversions. And for our users, it's really making sure that when they're watching, they feel like they're having a premium viewing experience and they're not getting repetitive ads. They're seeing ads that they think are relevant and they continue to come back to our service and spend long viewing times there.
2: I feel like in the early days of streamer ads, you would get the same one over and over again. So glad to hear that, you know, the the (laughs) engagement and making sure that you're diversifying it is key for y'all. Being in this space for a long time, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things come and go. So what are some of the top trends that you are currently seeing as it relates to customer engagement customer experience in the streaming industry?
0: Yeah, so I think... It's interesting. I think as things evolve, they always kind of come full circle. So I think the obvious one is data privacy. And over the last 10 years, maybe even a little bit longer, there's been a big push towards behaviorally targeted ads. So, you know, showing people ads based on what they've looked at on the internet, what they've done. But with data privacy coming in, that needed to change. Outside the laws, there's also the platforms asking users and trying to be user-centric, you know, iOS is the obvious, whether they want to be tracked. And so I think that's really had to change how we look at targeting our ads to users and, and bringing brands the right demographic. You know, when I first started in ad trafficking, it was very contextually targeted ads and very heavy there. And then that sort of started to change, but we're starting to see that trend come back. I think outside like ad-specific things, a new trend we're starting to see are ad paid tiers. And there was a big split between AVOD ad video on demand and SVOD uh, subscription video on demand. But now we're seeing people like Netflix and Disney Plus offer this third option. And Hulu was obviously the original one of paying a small subscription and also having some ads run on that. And again, going full circle to kind of more the cable model, I guess. So yeah, it's interesting.
2: So interesting. And for the privacy one, do you have any examples of just like some of the ways that that's been impacting some of your strategies? Any things that you've kind of seen in real life as, as somebody that's been working in advertising for this long?
0: It has a need to consider different things with our users and how to serve ads that we used to.
2: You're like going from third to first.
0: Exactly. And so we need to do more of that data collection. We need to ask for their approval before we start that data collection. And so there's more technology we need to implement on our platform to get that consent from users, which as a user, I'm very supportive of, but it does change our approach, our priorities of the technology we need to implement on our platforms. So as GDPR rolls out, right, there's a a lot more work we need to do across our websites to go and collect that consent. As Apple or other platforms implement their own, you know, asking users to opt-in or opt-out, we have to make sure we're responding to those signals properly and changing our technology stack to make sure we're respecting those user opt-ins or opt-outs. And then downstream, making sure we pass those properly to our ad tech partners, and they're respecting them. And so between the legal side, the technology side, it just creates new challenges and new priorities we need to do to kind of continue to serve ads and create that customer engagement for our advertisers and still drive high conversions, click-throughs, and make sure we're showing the ads the right demographic.
2: Yeah, totally. I think that the shift from... Third-party data over into first-party data, and all the privacy implications coming across from, you're right, both you know GDPR, CCPA, like government entities as well as the big platforms, is so shifting the abilities for anybody that's sitting in your seat of what they're thinking about every day, of what data to collect, how to collect it, in order to increase conversions in order to increase their return on ad spend. And I I know it's kind of been like the cookie apocalypse has been coming for years and years now. And so as somebody sitting in that seat, I can empathize with some of the challenges that you're going through. Besides privacy, are there any other customer behaviors that you're seeing in the last couple of years, especially that you're tracking to see where they go in in terms of how they're going to shape trends in the future?
0: Yeah. And I think that sort of speaks to that ad paid tier. I think we're seeing that users want different options of how to consume content. And so, you know, we've been lucky as a streaming service to continue to grow that side of the business and our overall subscription, but we're seeing other streaming services and as competition comes in that plateau. So we need to find ways to give our users options of how they consume that content, whether it's just ad supported, whether it's a combination, it's just subscription. You know, outside that, what I was talking about with kind of the 360, the flywheel business, finding ways to also support our streaming service and diversify our revenue streams with games, e-commerce, theatrical. We've done a really good job releasing movies in the U.S. over the past couple of years. We've had like two of the biggest movies. I think Dragon Ball Z was number one in the box office last month.
2: That's awesome. Um, which is
0: really really exciting. So again, it's finding other ways to build our brand as just streaming gets more competitive.
2: That's so interesting. Yeah. And I think really a lot of what you're talking about right now in in some ways is just the need for personalization. I want to see content in this way, whether it's a video game or some sort of different subscription service than you're used to. I think that folks are just so used to the Amazons of the world creating these highly personalized touch points for every single person and expecting that from every single company in the world, which is a massive challenge, of course, to try to keep up with. So
0: speaking of which,
2: do you have any challenges as it relates to kind of building that customer engagement journey?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you you spoke to some of them. There's a high bar with some of these other tech companies that have put tons of money into their personalization. And so broadly, that's definitely something we're continuing to work on is making sure we're recommending the right content when users come to the site, understand what users watch and really make sure we're putting our best foot forward in presenting our whole catalog. We have hundreds of thousands of titles. I think our catalog is bigger than most people probably realize. And it's important that we're really showing them everything and things we think they're interested in. I think... Some of the other challenges we've had is you know, more on a granular, me personally, is just around our content itself and getting all the data against it. Our company is 20 years old, and so there hasn't always been the best human tagging of content. And personalization all starts with understanding your content along with your users. It's kind of the dual side of it. And so really making sure we have a robust metadata against all of our content. And so... Recently, we've been finding various solutions to help us tag our content outside just our content operations team. And so I think, you know, even on the ad side, that's something that we'll continue to really lean in on is making sure we have robust contextual data so we can kind of do cool things there. That's so interesting.
2: I'm I'm so excited to dig in there a little bit more. So, you know, you're talking about building Contextual ads for folks based off of their behavior, what they're liking, what they're watching. I'm assuming that building a lot of that metadata in is going to take a combination of both human and machines to do. So, walk me through how you're doing that. Like, how are you actually serving up those ads? What are some of the ways that your marketing teams and tactics have been evolving with both humans and kind of machines in the world? Walk me through what's going on.
0: We actually use a few different ML services to help run all of our video content through and making sure we're properly tagging that content. We then have the humans come in and look at how we're tagging that content and making sure that each service is sort of bucketing it into the same terms. Every kind of ML service has its own naming conventions, way of identifying things. But then after we can kind of bucket that in, we can pump that into our ad server to build genres, ratings, thematic scenes, and really target ads that way. Um, And then really look at that data of how those ads and those buckets are performing on our platform and start building packages for our advertisers. If there's a certain advertiser that is promoting a video game that might be a little bit more action-centric, we can kind of look at our action content and see if that performs well. So building these kind of contextual packages, using our ad ops team to test campaigns against it, uh, where the advertiser is giving us certain kind of requirements of where they think their ads will work on certain types of content and and kind of testing these various ones, looking at click-through rates and understanding where users are responding well, and then kind of reapplying those learnings to future campaigns.
2: I have like 20 questions off the back of this. So <laughs> in terms of the categories, if you're working with a lot of different ML programs and they all have different labels to all these different categories, how are you unifying
0: those? Yeah. So this is where we rely on our content operations team to really help humans, us. Map. Always. Yeah, humans. Yes. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Math. map map those terms together and and kind of make sense of it all, rely on them to really do that work. And then after they kind of give their approval, push that information downstream. So we kind of have different layers of metadata that we're saving in our system because we still want to understand what was originally captured, but we have like a layer three, layer two and layer one and humans are kind of that layer one piece on it.
2: Makes total sense. And then of all those different categories, are there ratings or, or themes? First of all, I would love to learn a little bit more about all of those. Like how many are there? What does that look like? And then are there ones that are more predictive of whether or not an ad is you know, going to be really high in conversion for users more than anything? It was like, is the rating the best predictive indicator or is it the theme of somebody that they've watched before?
0: So it, it really depends on the campaign KPI coming in. And again, what we do is we track all the performance of our campaigns and we have a database that allows us to understand the original KPIs or performance that the campaigns were looking for. And then we have different buckets. So there's probably about 20 genres, hundreds of themes, and it, we try to kind of connect the dots and document again, because people change at the company. I think a lot of our ad ops team kind of has a feel of what works, what doesn't work, but mid campaign we're, and really every day, we're looking at those performance of the data and optimizing it. So if we've, you know, have a certain genre targeted to a campaign and it doesn't seem to be working, like if it's a Valentine's day ad campaign for chocolates or something like that. And we think, you know, oh, it's obvious to target this to romantic content because that feels like that would make sense, but it's not performing well. We'll review that and kind of tweak the targeting on the campaign real time. So it's really important for our adopts team to every day be looking at the campaign performance, the data and pulling the contextual performance and, and tweaking and pushing impressions where they are seeing it well. So sometimes they'll start broad see the click-through rates, how they're performing in a certain category and push more impressions there over time to see if that performance continues there.
2: I love that example of like, you know, Valentine's day, perhaps you were surprised by that. Do you have any examples of when maybe you expected one thing and then the data was showing you something completely different?
0: Well, I think for us, we have a lot of, uh, gaming campaigns and gamer-centric, whether it's mobile, whether it's like a platform, like PlayStation, Xbox games. And a lot of our mobile advertisers will think they should only deliver ads or deliver their campaign on mobile platforms and want to stay off of web. This was surprising to me is that mobile campaigns actually perform just as well, if not better on web sometimes. They're really focused on driving click-through And this is outside just being on the website, on your phone, just even on desktop, but we've seen that users really still convert really well on downloads, even if they're not on their phone. So I think as long as we're giving that impact, still giving them the ability to click through, we've seen good performance of driving conversions. So that that was surprising to me. And it's something we're constantly trying to educate some of our advertisers on because we do have a lot of mobile game campaigns that come to our platform.
2: That's so interesting. And so are you saying that folks will pick up the remote control and interact with the ad just as readily as they would, you know, tap their finger on something?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, or I'd say more on web, so use their mouse, but click-through rates are just as good. And again, it's, you know, you think driving directly to the Play Store through the mobile phone would help that but people are able to click through this site to the website when they see those ads, they get excited about it and then they'll still go to the store and download the apps through their phone. So I think that's where it's really been interesting to see.
2: That's very cool. I'm sure as somebody who deals in in the like hundreds of thousands and millions of impressions, you're looking at tiny little conversion rates, you know, all day, every single day, you probably have a perspective on what good data is. So I'd love for you to try to define that. What does good data mean to y'all at Crunchyroll?
0: Most importantly, it's accurate. And so we're not sending duplicate impressions, bad clicks, and even on the product side with the video player, really just making sure we're firing everything correctly. I think accurate and clean data are important, and then making sure it's impactful and driving high conversions, high CTR. What does accurate mean? In the ad world, the IAB defines certain ways to read vmap responses and fire beacons for impressions, clicks. So just at the real basic level, it's really following those guidelines and making sure that we're doing that correctly. There's standards with that. IAB helps all publishers kind of have that standard. And so to me, at the lowest level, that's really how we can ensure we have accurate data.
2: It's nice when you can all have a common definition. I feel like everywhere I go, it's always like, all right, what's our definition of an MQL? Everybody does it differently. Everybody does, you know, all their modeling differently. And so thank you, IAB, for at least making one thing relatively unanimous. We talked about some of the kind of machine learning things that you're doing and and tagging content for contextual targeting. Are there other ways that you're using data when you're building your marketing strategies and tactics?
0: Going back to relying on working closely with our content operations team, another thing that we sometimes struggle with is having natural cue points in all of our content and knowing where to run our advertisements. So machine learning is another tool we use along with the humans to make sure all of our content has the proper cue points we want in there to have the ad load we feel is most appropriate for our platform and just making sure that it's always a full set uh, of ads so we can also have the best revenue opportunity. And so that's a project we've been working hard on because, again, we have a catalog that has kind of had spotty metadata. And so really running all of our content back through these tools to get our proper cue points and making sure we're making as much revenue as possible with the various lengths. So whether it's a movie and it's, you know, an hour and a half long, different kind of an ad load, than. Uh, A 30-minute video or even a 15-minute video, let's say.
2: That's so interesting. So you're telling me, uh, as somebody who grew up watching sitcoms where, you know, you would actually have that break that's so clear of what's happening with, here are your advertisements served up to you, you're using computers to tell you exactly when you should serve up an ad to an audience based off of the context?
0: Yep. And really making sure we're not running ads in the middle of someone's sentence, right? And so we want to give that good user experience, that good viewing opportunity for our actual customers. So yeah, we've been using machines to help us find those breaks.
2: That's so interesting. And something that hasn't yet been applied to the podcasting industry. I don't, I was just thinking about that. (laughs) Whenever I listen to podcasts, it's like okay, and now we're going to hear, they like introduce their advertising segment still. That's such an interesting new, perhaps problem and use case to solve. So cool. I mean, videos are such rich data though. Is audio as rich as video? Probably not, right?
0: No, it's not. Not at all. And and some of the media companies I've worked for, you know, dabbled a little bit in podcasting and it is interesting to see it's like tracking is a lot harder, how you serve ads. I think that's actually expanded a lot where it doesn't have to necessarily be someone reading off a piece of paper and it can be more inserted in to get the volume for different marketers that want to kind of spread against various publishers and track it all back in one place, like an ad server does on the video or the display side. So I think it's an evolving medium in that sense for advertising, but it's definitely not quite as robust as video. And then I think display is probably still the most robust because it's the original.
2: Definitely makes sense. Do you have anybody that you look to for inspiration that you think is doing it right as it relates to leveraging all of this rich data data to build customer experiences?
0: To me, YouTube's really the gold star in the video business probably as a whole, but definitely in video advertising. I think they've taken it another step. And with ad load, they've really taken the time to figure out the best ad load per user. And so... However you consume your content on YouTube and let's say you skip a lot of ads or you sometimes watch the long ads before you skip them. If you keep those little overlays open or you close them, they'll send you a different mixture of ads kind of based on your behavior there. And so that's always been the gold star and something I want to get to because everyone has a different way or different you know, types of ads within video they, they like. And so figuring out that mixture to keep them on site as long as possible so they can serve the most ads to those users as possible without kind of deterring the ad experience. So don't run a pre-roll in the beginning of a video because they'll watch longer overall. So I think YouTube is definitely the, the best at that.
2: Do you have a favorite piece of data that y'all collect and you act on or or perhaps like a campaign or a strategy or a program that you're really excited
0: about? I'm really obsessed with making sure our user experience is prime. And so really looking at viewership, minutes watched, and slicing some of that data together to make sure that we're keeping users engaged on our actual players. Because to me, then everything kind of trickles down. I think um, it all starts with the content on every media site and layering and advertising is kind of a piece of that. From an advertiser, KPI performance standpoint, I mean, I think the classic CTR and and impressions and, and your you know, helping companies drive brand awareness. I think since there's limitations in CTV of clicking through, that's where CTR gets a little bit weaker. And as, you know, I think streaming services continue to grow, impressions, viewability, and really making sure people can see your ads at a high volume.
2: That's interesting. The subscription services continuing to grow is just such a massive industry trend. That's been, I feel like everybody has you know, some sort of subscription service now. I wonder when it's going to begin and end, but I'm sure advertisers are so stoked for it. It's just more eyeballs and more platforms. Or maybe it's not. Do you see any, like, uh, budget shifting between like really niche and granular platforms now with that?
0: I think with the rise of pay tiers, advertisers are getting excited about that. Advertisers, I'm sure, would love to be on Netflix, right? And on Disney Plus and places like that. And there's been a maybe a little bit of a void outside, I'd say more user-generated content with like YouTube. And so I think you know, having more premium content and the ability to advertise against that gets advertisers excited. So I think video and streaming advertising will continue to grow. And I think we're starting to see a dip in linear in that shift. And so, you know, over the past 15 or probably like 20 years, digital advertising has grown year over year. I mean, it's going to continue to do that. And I think, you know, where you start seeing the big changes off of linear, which is cable, basically. The cable still has big concurrent viewership and still big audiences. So I think it'll take a little bit more time to, have the full change. It's pretty close though to, f- to flipping where there's more advertising spend on streaming services versus linear.
2: That's interesting. I mean, you're talking to a cord cutter right now. So I, yeah, I fully <laughs> haven't subscribed to cable ever in my adult life, actually, maybe. So I, I definitely imagine that that's the case. But you're right. I do think that sports... Maybe the ESPNs of the world. Do they have a streaming service? I don't even know. But I know that they they do, but is it paid? Is it subscriber based?
0: I think if it's like live, right, then there might be ads. But what you're starting to see is people like YouTube, TV, Hulu, which is part of Disney and ESPN as well. They have like live sports. So there is more live sports getting on streaming. So I think that is helping the shift.
2: That's got to be the big anchor for sure. I mean, football season in the states is just beginning. So that the way that they have built that business is absolutely incredible with the fact that they spread games from Thursday to Monday and then of course throughout the week they have you picking your team on fantasy. I'm like, y'all y'all really figured it out. What changes do you see coming in the horizon in the next six to 12 months as it relates to customer data and the ways that you're using data to power a lot of your programs?
0: This might be longer than six to 12, but I think we'll continue to see more laws, more platforms, like you said, the death of the cookie. And so more of those types of changes in limiting certain types of user tracking and kind of giving users, their power back to opt-in or opt-out of that type of tracking. So I think we'll continue to see that. I think we will continue to see kind of the shift into streaming and the competition heat up. So back to football and streaming, Amazon just spent a lot of money to be able to host all of the Thursday night football games this year. And so that's new for them. They're spending a lot of money on that. Prime spent a lot of money on the new Lord of the Rings series. So, you know, the streaming companies are really heating up in the content they're buying. As they roll out their paid tiers, there'll be more opportunities for advertisers to hit there. So I think, you know, the paid tier is something I'm definitely interested in our company doesn't have that today. It's it's very really split SVOD, AVOD. So I think that will be another continued change we see. Data-wise, I think the rise of contextual, I, I think that's going to be a big thing. There's companies like Iris TV that are coming out and really helping publishers like us add another layer into contextual targeting. And they're working with the ad server companies to also kind of bake in their solution. And so I think the rise of contextual targeting and using those abilities. I think Apple has really increased their ad revenue by offering and kind of proving that marketers can use contextual targeting to hit their demographic. And so there was a recent study with them kind of giving information about that and why limited ad tracking isn't the end of the world for advertisers. So yeah, I think that will be the other big thing. Yeah,
2: they they definitely need to do some damage control around a lot of that for advertisers. But um, I do think it is the only way to go, right? Like protecting consumer privacy, I think, is incredibly important and valuable. And actually, that's what we see, too. When people implement segment leveraging first party data, their conversions go up. Right. So it's like over time when you're actually investing in this really, really rich source of information and then channeling it to every downstream application, you are spending less time. You're increasing your conversions. It's all working together. Interested to see how those trends kind of continue to shift in shape. But I think consumer is always going to win on this one and the privacy implications that have been coming down for the past, what, five, 10 years keep getting stronger across
0: every country in the world. Absolutely. And I think we'll see more states within the U.S. roll out their own policies like CCPA. So it'll be interesting. But we're ready for it.
2: (laughs) You're ready for it. You're like, I got the technology to go. Here we are. (laughs) My last question for you, Eric, before I, I let you off the hook is, do you have any recommendations for anybody that might be stepping into your shoes that would help them to up-level some of their advertising strategies?
0: It's three things. I think it's understanding your users and back to that first-party data, what they like, who they are, what they're interested in. I think it's understanding your advertisers when they come to you for running a campaign and what their KPIs are. And then it's working internally with your team to help them drive those KPIs, looking at the data constantly, responding, optimizing, and You know, making sure you're having an impact.
2: Listen to people, listen to your customers on both sides of the house, make sure you understand what those goalposts are and how
1: to hit them. Really appreciate it, Eric. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital-first economy, being data-driven is no longer aspirational. It's necessary. Segment's leading customer data platform empowers every team with good data, From marketing and product to engineering and analytics, Segment unifies data silos into a single view of the customer. It allows teams to make data-driven decisions and personalize customer engagement in real time, all with one single platform to collect and manage your data. Curious to find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to be their data foundation? You can learn more by visiting Segment.com.